This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 42 and 43. They are taken together. Psalm 42 and 43, and we're going to read... All 16 verses of God's Word to prepare us for the message today. So when you find your place in Psalm 42 and 43, would you stand and allow me to read this passage of Scripture? You read along, pray along as we read God's holy and precious Word. Psalm 42.1 begins, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. 43.1 Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of, the, of God, and God and to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thank you, and you may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of His holy and precious Word. Well, this is a very encouraging psalm for all of us. 
because it is a psalm that I believe has been preserved in the Holy Scripture by the Spirit to comfort us and to let us know that we are not alone. When I was young, there was a season of my young life where I was afraid, and so what I would do is I would go and sleep on the floor at the foot of my parents' bed. Now, maybe some of you can relate to that. You recall back when you were young, there was a a moment in your life where maybe you were unjustly afraid. It really had nothing to do with anything going on around you, but you would go to your parents' room and you would sleep. And I've talked to other adults about this. That's pretty common, so you don't have to think I'm odd, all right? It's a very common thing. And uh, now, because we have children, our oldest is going through that phase. She's almost 10 years old. She has no reason to come into our bedroom. But for the last several weeks, she just needs to sleep on mom and dad's floor. And I realize it's a very common thing. A lot of people go through it. So we've let her sleep on the floor if that's what she feels like she needs to do. And the reason she's coming in, because she's afraid. Now, I don't tell her this, but if there really was something to be afraid of... Coming and sleeping in our room is not going to change the circumstances much, all right? Mom and dad can't really do much there if there were really something to be afraid of. But that's not why she's coming in. That's not why you may have gone into your parents' room. It's the fact that when we're afraid, when we're fearful, when we're full of anxiety, we just want to be with other people. We, we want to know that we are not alone, That this is not just something we have to tackle. And I think that when we look at Psalm 42 and 43, that plays very well into the reason why this psalm was preserved for us. Because in our darkest moments, when our soul is downcast, God wants us to know we're not alone. Number one, godly people like the sons of Korah who led in praise and worship in the tabernacle experienced depression and despondency. Number two, the Lord knew that others of us would experience it, and that's why it's recorded for all time and eternity in God's Word. We are not alone. Now, people have called this issue by many different names. The Puritans called it the dark night of the soul. Others have called it despondency. Today, the modern vernacular, depression. The psalmist called it a downcast soul. Whatever you call it, it's common. It's even common in believers. It's it's not uncommon. Believers even get depressed and downcast and discouraged. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you and I are in sin. It could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And so where we need to go for the answer when we're in despondency when we're in depression, is we need to go to God's Word. And that's what's so beautiful about Psalm 42 and 43 together is they address this issue. Now, I want to just kind of give you a little outline of where I'm going. Now, I I teach in my preaching classes that there's two outlines that you'll do. There's an exegetical outline. And exegetically, this text is a song, okay, recorded by the sons of Korah. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But they were musicians that led in praise and worship. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles 6 where their names are mentioned. But they would lead in worship. And so this was obviously a worship song that was probably played as believers, as Jewish believers would come to the tabernacle to worship. 
So it started off as a song. It was transmitted orally. That's how important this message was. And then preserved scripturally for us. Well, there's the exegetical outline. And the way that this song is broken down is it has three stanzas. The first stanza is verses 1 through 5. The second stanza is verses 6 through 11. And the third stanza is 43, 1 through 5. Now you know where the stanzas break because at the end of the the verse of the song, you have the repeated phrase. You see it in verse 5. You see it again in verse 11. You see it again in 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Okay, this is kind of like the chorus of the song. The verses lead us to the chorus. Well, that's the exegetical outline. There's three stanzas. They're broken up by that chorus in verse 5, verse 11, and 43.5. But I'm not going to preach the exegetical outline because as I also teach in my classes, there's a homiletical outline. And so once you get your exegetical outline of the text, you have to bring it to a homiletical conclusion. You've got to bring it so that people can listen to it. So here's my homiletical outline based on my exegetical outline. You following me? Here it is. Two things I want you to see in the text this morning. And I think these are what the psalmist draw our attention to. The cause of depression. Or rather, should we say the causes Because he presents several causes of depression. And then secondly, what I want you to see are the cures that he presents for depression. Now when you go to verse 5, 11, and then again 43, 5, I think you see this homiletical outline just kind of jump off the page. Notice he's asking the same things in the chorus. Verse 5, why are you cast down? In other words, why do we get depressed What are the causes that lead me, the psalmist, to be depressed? Why am I depressed? What reason do I have to be depressed? What's led me to depression? That's my first point. The causes of depression. But then the second point comes in the second part of verse 5, 11, and 5. Where he gives us the answer. The cures of depression. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So He leads us to this place where after He talks about the why, He tells us how to get through it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So number one, let's just focus on the why. Let's focus on the causes that the psalmist gives us for depression. In the first stanza, we see the first cause that he points out about depression. And I'm going to label this first cause in these first five verses spiritual depression. Now, there's different causes that lead us to depression. But notice what he says in verses 1 through 5. He leads us to see that in this stanza, in this verse, what is causing him depression at this moment is a separation from God. A separation from the house of God. A separation from worshiping God. And that separation, that communion with God is creating depression in him. So he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And there you just get this idea of dryness. This man who is writing this, this son of Korah, 
He is saying, I am thirsty. I am like an animal that has been running hard and hot in the wilderness. And I am searching for water. And the water that I'm searching for is God, the living God. Notice verse 2. He doesn't just want the, the, the tabernacle. He doesn't just want the, the outward forms of worship for God. He wants the living God. And he says at the conclusion of verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? He's talking there about the tabernacle, the temple. He's saying, you know, it's been a long time, obviously, since I've led music, I've led praise, I've led worship. It's been a long time since I've brought people into the tabernacle. You get that idea when you look at the bottom of verse 4. He says, I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now let's talk a little bit about who's writing this, the sons of Korah. If you go to number 16, you'll remember that Korah was of the Levitical line. He was in the priesthood. And it was his job, his family's job, to lead people in worship. Well, Korah rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, rebelled against Moses and his authority. And so the ground opened up, Korah was swallowed in his rebellion. But one of the most encouraging things, I think, in the book of Numbers, and also later, like here, is that the sins of the father did not follow the sons. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you're not responsible for what your relatives have done? You know, recently, our town, there's a radio station, and they broadcast this man named Derek Prince. He's an old preacher who's passed away, Englishman. And he did this whole series on blessings and curses. And I was so intrigued by his radio program on blessings and curses that I went and downloaded this book that he wrote on blessings and curses. I would not encourage you to download that book. It's heretical. But what he says in the book is that you and I are suffering from curses that maybe even our grandparents passed on to us. And that what we have to do spiritually is we have to break the long-standing curse. And he masterfully takes portions of Scripture and leads you through it. And it sounds really good, what he's saying. I mean, it sounds plausible, you know. And he leads you to this place where you go, wow, okay, yes, there's all these curses. But the problem with that is when you really start studying Scripture, that's not what we see as the norm. An example, the sons of Korah, their father or grandfather or whatever he was, was swallowed up in rebellion, but yet these sons were allowed to continue to lead worship in the house of God. That should encourage all of us. Our spiritual identity is not based upon any relative or any past. It's based upon our obedience and our relationship to God and His law and His covenant and His grace. And so here they are leading worship. And again, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 6 and 1 Chronicles 16 where they're mentioned, these sons, what they did. Well, for whatever reason in these first five, five verses, this son of Korah who is writing this psalm is saying that what has led him first of all to depression is his lack of communion with God. Now remember that at this point in the history of Revelation, the Holy Spirit was not given to every believer. The access to the throne of God was not yet accomplished through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that is so clearly laid out in the book of Hebrews. 
So the way that the Lord ordained coming before him was from the time of David until Christ was the the tabernacle. And then later after Solomon, the temple. Well, for whatever reason, this man cannot make it to the tabernacle or to the temple. And his long distance, his long separation from God has led him to depression. Now, let me just say very quickly, we don't know why he separated from the tabernacle and why he separated from God and why he's not leading people any longer with festival and shouts and songs. There's a lot of different theories on this, and they're all theories. I mean, if you read James Boyce's commentary, he'll say that probably this man was taken captive. And on his way out of Jerusalem and out of the city headed towards Babylon, he looks back. Boyce gives that idea when he goes to verse 6. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. And Boyce says he's probably on the hills at the exit of Israel. And this is the last opportunity he has to look back. And he just longs with lament when he was a free man and he could go and worship God. Well, maybe, but we really don't know that. Spurgeon says it's David and it's David's separation from God because of sin. We don't know that. And it actually says sons of Korah. I mean, you can read commentary after commentary and everybody's got theories on why this man is ultimately depressed. Well, here's the truth of the passage. The passage never tells us the background of this man writing. We don't know if he was a prisoner being taken away. We don't know if he was still in Jerusalem. We don't know if he had sin in his life. We do know the cause We don't know the circumstances, but we know the cause of his depression. And the cause was spiritual. The first thing he points out is, I am away from God. I'm out of communion with God. And because of that, whatever led to that, it's causing me to be downcast in my soul. Which this clearly, I think, just points out to us. One of the key ways depression comes on us is spiritually. Now, all depression is not spiritual, as the psalmist will point out in the next stanza and the next. But let's start there. Now, there's many people that will come to church. They will come to your counseling in your pastoral office, and they will be depressed and despondent and discouraged. And you should never shy away from making sure, first and foremost, that things are right in their relationship with God. I mean, let me just say this as boldly as I can, flying in the face of modern psychology, who would laugh at this suggestion. Let me say to you, if there is sin in your life, the consequences of sin can lead to spiritual depression. That's an absolute fact from Scripture. You know, you go to Psalm 66. And just flip over there quickly. Psalm 66, where the psalmist says here, He's talking about worship in Psalm 66. And as he's talking about worship, you just notice in verse 13, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered. My mouth is promised when I was in trouble. I'll offer you burnt offerings of fatted animals. Now, to get the context... He's talking about worship. When I come to the tabernacle to worship. But notice what he says in verse 16. 
Um, I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. I mean, that is a very good example of what I'm talking about. If we're cherishing sin in our life, then very much that could be one of the reasons we're despondent and depressed. You know, if you've decided to live a lifestyle that flies in the face of God and His Scripture, there are consequences emotionally that are going to follow that. And so the good minister of the gospel who understands all the causes of despondency will first begin spiritually with our relationship with God. And what we will do is we will come to those people and say, is there anything that you need to confess? Is there anything you need to repent of? Is there any issue that you need to be honest with God about? Because until you can solve that, despondency may not leave you. God can heal. God can be gracious. God can bring restoration and redemption. But it has to begin with confession. Now, a good New Testament example of this is 1 John chapter 1. You probably know 8, 9, 10, 11 very well. Let me just read that passage quickly. We all know 9 very well where it says if we will you know, confess our sins, He's faithful and just. But I want to focus on verse 8 and 10 particularly. Notice how the Apostle John phrases this before he talks about confession. He sandwiches that very famous verse in verse 9 about confession between two statements about sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, think about the gravity there. John is saying that some people are going to try to deceive themselves and say, I haven't done anything wrong. I have not sinned. It's not my fault. It's a disease. It's my upbringing. It's everyone else's fault. But it's not my fault. When we say that we have no sin, that's a problem. That's pride. So he starts that verse on confession by saying, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves and we're calling God a liar. If we say that we've not sinned, We're calling God a liar. The solution is not to say, I haven't sinned. The solution when we have been guilty before God is to simply come and confess sin, right? It's to agree with God. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what is so striking to me in that passage of 1 John is that what John is saying is many people will not confess. They simply will not come and humble themselves and say, you're right, I have sin. They will deceive themselves. They would rather call God a liar than come and confess and make things right. Well, I think that that's what Psalm 66 is saying. I think that's what 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10 are saying. I think ultimately that perhaps may be the issue here with the psalmist. Again, we don't know the circumstances But for whatever it was, it was separation from God. Now, sometimes it can be our sin that leads us into spiritual depression. But other times it could be Satan 
I mean, perhaps the psalmist is under spiritual attack. He's a worship leader. We know that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of this dark and wicked world. And so we don't want to discount that either. But Satan and sin both will come in. Whatever is the circumstance, the point is is that they will try to separate you from communion with God. And that separation of communion with God leads to spiritual depression. Well, that's the first cause the psalmist gives us. He says it's spiritual. But the second cause, it doesn't just stop at spiritual. And I want to be very clear with that. You know, I don't advocate that all depression is a spiritual issue. Some of it is physical. Notice the second cause of depression in the second stanza is physical. He starts talking in verses 6 through 11 about several key physical, emotional issues. I mean, first of all, what I think is the best interpretation of verse 6 and 7. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers of your waves have gone over me. I think the best interpretation that I read about these two verses was that this area in verse 6 is the beginning of the Jordan River. It's the start of the Jordan River. It's where the waters would rise high. And so what the psalmist is actually saying here is maybe not that he's on a mountain looking back, leaving, but perhaps I think what he's saying here is this. I'm drowning I'm drowning in my circumstances. I'm drowning physically. And where is God? You just hear his cry. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves go over me. This is, this is reminiscent and connected to Jonah chapter 2. Where Jonah's drowning in the belly of the fish. You ever felt like the waves are just drowning you and you're crying out to God saying, are you going to rescue me? Are you going to help me? Are you going to save me? Are you going to let my circumstances and my situation change so that I can breathe for a few minutes? Have you ever been in that situation? I think that's where the psalmist is. Verse 8 is kind of a refrain. He says, you know, I remember your commands of your steadfast love. He's remembering the covenant that God made with his people. He's remembering the promises of God at night and in the day. He's praying to God, verse 8, a prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, I know you're my rock, verse 9. But don't miss it. Then he says, but even though I know all those things about you, God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Why? Because of the oppression of the enemy, my circumstances, people, issues, physically, Verse 10, a deadly wound in my bones. He physically feels depressed. He's down. He's disheartened. He's broken. He attributes it it to certain things. He says, you know, there's, there's adversaries. There's situations. I'm anxious. People are saying, where is your God? They're taunting me. And physically, I am broken. And I'm cast down. This is a second cause of depression. It may be spiritual, but it may also be physical. And so we never need to disclaim anyone who says, I'm physically suffering. It very well may be something in the brain. It could be chemicals out of balance. 
It could be issues that people are dealing with. It could even be the way that we eat, right? I mean, doctors will tell us that if we eat poorly, we have moods that go along with our eating. When we're out of shape, when we're not exercising, when we're not the way we are, I mean, there's going to be things that follow from that. I have two doctors in my church. One's a surgeon, one's um, uh, an OBGYN. She's my gynecologist. I go to her. Anyway, uh, well, I do. I do go to her uh, when I have a need and good friend. And I've asked both of these doctors, are, are issues that people deal with only physically related or would you say that they're spiritually related? And both of these doctors have medically weighed in on that and said, Absolutely, nine times out of ten, the issues that we face emotionally are either caused physically by the way we treat ourselves or spiritually by issues that we've done and consequences that we bear. These doctors have said people after people we talk to, that we deal with, that we pray with in the office, these are the issues that come out over and over again. And it's more spiritual than you'd ever imagine, Pastor, What I do is more spiritual than you would ever imagine. Well, it certainly can be physical. I mean, if we're hungry, if we're tired, if we do not get the right sleep, these things are going to come out. You ever noticed how late at night you're stressed? If you can go to bed, you wake up the next day and whatever was pressing on you that night is not pressing on you in the morning? That's because God has designed you to need sleep. He's designed you to need rest. It's amazing what Sabbath rest, even at night, can do for the soul and the spirit and the mind and the body. Well, there are physical issues. Sometimes it's physically the way we treat ourselves. Other times it's people around us. We can't control the physical environment. The psalmist certainly had people that he could not control who were his adversaries. It was depressing him. Well, let's go to the third cause. Not only do we see the spiritual And not only do we see the physical, but I would label the third cause of the why that the psalmist gives here is circumstantial. You know, there's some things we will never be able to control around us. There are circumstances. We don't like the circumstances. That brings on depression. And you can get a feel for the circumstances the psalmist is going through in chapter 43 in the third stanza. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. I mean, there you just see deceitful, unjust people. Ungodly people. Ungodly nations is the way some of those translate that. Oppression of the enemy. Over and over through this, in these first two verses, he's saying there are so many things in my environment, circumstantially, that are depressing me and breaking me. And where are you, God, in the middle of that? He's saying, have you forgotten me? Vindicate me. Take up my cause judicially. Stand up for me. Be my advocate. Help me. Maybe you feel that way. I mean, I've been depressed. Again, I think we all have been depressed. If we haven't, just wait. Again, that's why this psalm is here. There's no temptation that has not you know, come to you that is not common to all men. That's 1 Corinthians 10. So this is common. This is normal. But 
I remember when I got depressed a couple of years ago. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I was 40 years old. That was depressing, right? I'm getting old. No offense if you're over 40. I'm now 42, the age of Elvis when he died. So I'm not encouraged this year either. And, uh, you know, things in my life were okay. I had a lot to be thankful for. But I just felt overwhelmed. You ever get to that point in life where you say, here I am midlife and I haven't accomplished all the things I want to accomplish in my life. And so for a season I went through this depression and I remember my wife kept saying, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I have so much to be thankful for, but I just don't like my circumstances. And I had to come to the place where ultimately I had to learn to give thanks in all circumstances. And I had to learn to learn thanksgiving again. And that lifted me out of the despondency, the selfishness that I was in. For me, it was circumstantial. It wasn't physical. I don't think it was spiritual. Maybe they were linked. But it was more circumstantial. Well, we're all going to go through that. The psalmist says these are the causes. And in knowing the causes, we find strength, don't we? We're not alone. We're not the only people that's dealt with this. We're not the only ones who have gone through this. Well, let's look at number two. We've seen the causes that I think the psalmist brings out in the three stanzas. Let's now look at the cures that were given in these stanzas. The cures are definitely here. You have to look for them. The first cure that I think the psalmist talks about is um, right talking. Right talking. Notice at the end of every stanza, the psalmist is talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now, I find great comfort in this because I talk to myself often. And my wife says, I'm really worried about you. I mean, I hear you in the bathroom and I don't know who you're talking to. And she's worried because my mother, who is now 75, when she comes to visit, she will have entire conversations. I'm not there yet. All right. I don't have entire conversations with myself. I'll just talk. My mother will answer herself back. You know, she'll talk and then she'll be the person that answers and then she'll be the person that argues. And, you know, literally we've heard her arguing with herself. And my wife says, I'm really worried. That's where you're headed. Now, let's be honest. You all talk to yourself. You do. In your mind right now, you're talking to yourself. Go ahead and say you're not. No, I'm not. You just talk to yourself. We all do that. It's very normal. Thank God. Amen. You're not crazy. It's when you think other people are talking to you. That's when you're crazy. That's a clear definition there. All right. But if you talk to yourself, you're in good company. The psalmist does the very same thing. And so notice, though, what he's saying to himself. I think that's part of the cure. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones... This is where I got this from. He wrote an entire book called Spiritual Depression. And in the book, he talks about the psalmist speaking to himself using this passage of Scripture. So notice, he says, why are you cast down? He's talking to himself. And notice that he has the right kind of talk. Now, in psychology, they call this self-fulfilling prophecy. You can talk yourself into a lot of things, right? Let's be honest. I mean, you can make yourself sick if you just keep telling yourself you're sick. 
You can make yourself think a lot of things if you just keep talking to yourself. How many times have we had to confront other believers because maybe they convinced themselves, the pastor doesn't like me. Why would you say that? The church doesn't like me. Why would you say that? What have we ever done to tell you that? But they convinced themselves. And so every time they would walk in the door of the church or talk to a parishioner or talk to the pastor, they would interpret every motion, every movement, every gesture as, you don't like me. You see, there it is again. You just turned away from me and shook someone else's hand. You know, we can talk ourselves into almost anything, can't we? There's power in our speech to ourself. Now what the psalmist masterfully does here is he always brings the speech back to truth. So notice he says in 5, 11, and 11 again in 43, hope in God. You see, he doesn't just talk to himself and leave it there and say, well, I guess God doesn't know what I'm going through and I guess God doesn't care and so fine then, I'm just not going to pray. No, he says hope in God. Right talk. But then notice in 43, verse 3, There's right prayer. He directs this prayerfully to the Lord. After asking all these questions, you notice in verse 3 of chapter 43, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. What is verse 43.3 saying? He is saying, Illuminate me, teach me, guide me, direct me, direct my paths. Now that's right praying. That's another cure that he gives. The first cure is right talking. Speak truth to yourself. Speak scripture to yourself. The second thing is right praying. Depend upon God. Go to Him. Humble yourself. Pray to Him. Even when you don't feel like praying, pray. Even when you don't want to pray, go to the Lord and pray. And cry out to Him and pray until you're ready to pray. I mean, get in your prayer closet and and start praying verses like this. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, O Lord. You know how many Sundays I have to pray that? Because honestly, the heart is sluggish. And I just don't really want to go to church and preach. But I know I've got to. And I've got to be emotionally, spiritually connected to the text. And there are Sunday mornings when I wake up and I am just not there in the heart. Come on. If you preach, you know this is true. Preaching is not just a mental job. It is an emotional job, a spiritual job. People will never understand that they do not preach. And so there's Sunday mornings when I have to come and I have to say, Forgive me, God. Incline my heart. Move my heart to your truth, to your testimonies, and not toward my own selfishness. Move my heart toward the cross. It's amazing when I pray that, how my heart just begins to warm. I'm praying Scripture. I'm praying truth. Well, that's what the psalmist was doing here. I mean, saying send out your light and your truth is definitely reminiscent of other portions of the psalm. He's asking for the guidance of the Lord. But then thirdly, not only is there right talk and right prayer, but there's the right relationship. It all kind of comes back, doesn't it? 
I mean, once we start talking to ourselves and praying to God, we begin finding ourselves back in that relationship that maybe we've been separated from. And that right relationship moves us. Verse 4 and 5. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. You see, His joy is coming back. When I pray and I think rightly, then I want to go to the house of God. My joy is coming back. I'm ready to praise you again with musical instruments. I'm ready to say, oh God, my God. Now there's a transformation. He goes from introspection in chapter 42 to invocation in chapter 43. Now let me just say a word about all of this as well. At the end of all of this, it's not like a sitcom on television. The psalmist does not end in 43.5 by saying, And God solved all of my problems and tied it up with a nice, neat bow. In fact, we're never told that this was solved. I mean, we assume whatever was leading him to depression, whether it was spiritual, whether it was physical, whether it was circumstantial, and it might have been all three that caused him to be here. He gives us the cure, but we're really never told that he comes out of it. We assume that he does. We hope that he does. That's not really the point, though. The psalmist is wanting you to see that you may go through the dark night of the soul. You may go through a season or a valley. And it may not all be easily wrapped up for you at the end. You may have to endure trials and temptations. But as James says, count it all joy, right? Because this only increases your faith. This only strengthens you. This only draws you closer to God. And so the psalmist, I think, is ending it right here. He's still depressed. He's still downcast, but he knows where his hope is. He knows where his cure is. He knows ultimately where salvation comes from. So he says, hope in God, for I shall again. There's the hope. I will again praise him. I don't feel like it right now. I'm not in the mood today. I'm not ready at this moment, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep depending. I'm going to keep looking. And so I will hope in God and I will again praise Him. He is my salvation. There's not salvation anywhere else. He's my salvation. He's my God. So I'll wait for Him. I think that's the message for us. No matter what our cause is, The ultimate message is to hang on and trust the Lord that as long as He allows this in our life, as long as we deal with it, let's deal with it spiritually, prayerfully. Now that doesn't mean that we don't go to doctors. It doesn't mean that we don't seek help. Sometimes we need that. One doctor told me, you know, we can give medicine to ease the pain, but it will not fix the problem. It's only a band-aid. The the medicine helps them get through the season. But it won't fix the ultimate issue, whatever that is. And so sometimes maybe we have to do that. Maybe we have to go through that season and the Lord graciously provides some kind of ointment for us, some kind of healing. He provides people. He provides the church. He provides others to lift us up in prayer, come alongside us, love on us, be there for us. But in the end, no matter what we do to try to ease the pain, God is the the source 
of our healing and our hope. And that's where we need to end as well. So my prayer for you is if you're going through spiritual depression at all, physical depression, circumstantial depression, try these remedies that the psalmist mentions. You may use other things, but try these things and go and say, Lord, I'm going to just keep trusting and keep praying and keep thinking rightly and keep coming to you, my salvation and my hope. Let's pray.